This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I am telling you, two degrees is not enough degrees for me. That's what it is around here. And I've been inside for half an hour. My toes are still cold. Is that fair? Hardly. All right, so here's what I need from you. I need to know what are you cooking? I am extremely interested in this. I have the text line open right now, 81807. I already heard from someone up by Bemidji who's using their crock pot to make an egg bake. That is a sanctioned indoor activity on a very cold day. Very cold. All right, so here I am. I am going to have a very interesting show. We're going to try to do some new things this week. I have Lenny Russo here. You know him. He's one of the the founding locavore chefs of the Twin Cities. He knows things about foraging and wild boars that the rest of us have never even heard of. Um, So we're going to talk to Lenny about all things cooking. You got like a giant cooking question. You're sitting at home with a full you know, 1,200-pound steer and you want some advice on how to break it down, this is the guy to ask. He knows all the things. If you're sitting at home and you just got a a giant pile of pig entrails and you're like, what now? You know, call. Call us. All right, so 651-989-9226. We're going to do a bunch of calls with Lenny here. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to talk about healthy eating. We're going to talk about the return to bread. We're going to talk about the weird attempt of Silicon Valley venture capitalists to get us to stop eating meat and just give them all our money for fake foods. Maybe we'll talk about that. In addition to this kind of setting the table for all the all the calls, all the texts, so again, that's 651-989-9226 and text line 81807. I am also going to steal a game from this British broadcaster I like a lot. Okay, this guy is named James O'Brien. He's over in London. Very, very good. Very good at broadcasting. And he has this thing that he does called Mystery Hour. So Mystery Hour is without using the internet. And that's the big part. You can't use the internet. Without using the internet. Ask a question you've always wondered about, but it's about food. For instance, I pulled these out of my own brain. You know, why? Why do we have a baker's dozen? Why is it a baker's dozen? And, you know, what is – here's another one. What's the best way to cook a 40-pound eel pout? I wonder about that. Ever since I saw the prize eel pouts, I can't get it out of my head. What is the best way to get into that thing? All right, so then – We've posed the question. Someone doesn't know. No one is Googling. That's not what we're doing. And then someone who has some, you know, depth of knowledge can answer the question. So when you call to answer the question, I'm going to ask you, what are your qualifications? Your qualifications might be, I ran a bakery for the baker's dozen. Or I cooked a giant eel pout. I have done it. Or my brother did. All right. So 
And if this works out, if you have an answer, then we're going to have like a sound effect that will be a prize. And you'll be like, whoa, I got a sound effect. And you don't even have to put it on your tax forms. It's going to be maybe it's maybe it'll be applause. All right. So for our new foodie mystery hour segment, mystery that you will not Google, but you've always wondered about has something to do with food or drink. Uh, you can text that to 81807 or call 651-989-9226. All right. So while we let that part of the show percolate, we're going to turn our attention to Lenny Russo. Lenny, welcome. Always good to be here, Darren. All right. I'm really hoping we get the just someone trying to break down a full steer because – or a <laughs> boar. I miss that you had used to have wild boar charcuterie at uh, Heartland, and that was my big brag. Whenever a visiting restaurant critic would come, I would be like, well, here's what you don't have in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I would drive them over to St. Paul, and we would have – Wild boar prosciutto? Yes, the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or various other wild boar victuals. All the wild boar things. I love them. Okay, so let's talk about a few things. You – are going to be like leading a visionary health of food of the future situation. What is going on? Well, I don't know that um, I'm going to be leading it, but uh, on February 5th at the School for Public Health, uh, they are gathering 30 thought leaders from around the state. Uh, And it is a uh, visioning meeting where we are going to sit down. It's a workshop. Uh, uh, more or less uh, for a few hours and try and see how we can leverage the assets at the School for Public Health um, toward the goal of uh, between now and 2030, um, establishing strategies for how we use food as the basis for good health, which you would think would be intuitive, but apparently it is not. All right. So, so much is going on. You know, so I, when I'm wearing my other hat, I write about nutrition and wellness and that kind of forefront of thinking for Experience Life magazine. I have a column called Honestly Dara, and I have learned so much through the assignments that they give me and the reading that they kind of direct me to. It was, uh, the magazine was founded by a wonderful good friend of mine, Pilar Gerasimo, oh, who's been on the show. Mutual and, friend. And of, you know Pilar. Yes, yeah, very good And friend. Pilar is just next level. And I'll tell you what, um, to watch all of this kind of fake food come through the system as this, it's all going to save us, mm-hmm. uh, is so disturbing. This, you know, all of this eat more plants and veggie January and all of these things, like they um, – no one wants to talk about the fact that since we started eating more plants and less meat in 1970, the country has become obese. Uh, there is no reason to think that different kinds of grains turned into flours, combined with oils, and made into a burger patty are going to be healthier than whatever it was that you know Teddy Roosevelt and Aristotle ate <laughs> like right. we really like there's no reason to believe every single time we've had this great uh, put all our faith in technology of food. We have gotten less healthy. Uh, I think that I, I truly believe that a chipmunk in the forest knows more about how to eat healthy than uh, Silicon Valley does. I mean, just. Yeah. Or um, just our immigrant population knows more about how to eat have they have a more healthful diet you know really once you start to process food um that's where things go haywire 
And so uh, there's a reason why you are encouraged to eat whole foods. Yeah, real foods, whole foods. And they did it to bread. They wrecked it, you know, by overprocessing the grain. I mean, uh, of course, you know, our our prehistoric ancestors uh, um, uh, were chewing on grain. Uh, Eventually they figured out how to parch it to make it more edible. And then uh, they began to grind it. And then they began to separate the white flour from the bran, and they removed the germ. And, and that was a big – that was, a, that was a, a twofold innovation. On the one hand, if you could throw out half of the, half of the flour, that meant you were rich. So mm-hmm. This is like the conspicuous consumption of you know, 4,000 B.C. or something. It's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so rich that I just take half my flour and throw it in the garbage. Throw it in the right. And look at me. I'm eating white flour. Yeah. And then uh, the other innovation was that the brand – the brand of the grain has the oil in it, and that is what can go rancid. Right. So now you have something that is, you know, much more shelf stable, and you exactly can the point. keep it through the, you know, you can hold it back and mm-hmm. only sell it when the prices are high or meet your target. Right. Unfortunately, when you throw all of that away, you throw away all of the B vitamins, and you throw away, uh, you know, with, of course, the germ and, and the endosperm. Everything that's in there goes, so you're also uh, losing protein. So consequently, the bread that you have now, well, the higher the protein, the lower the carbohydrate. So now you have higher carbohydrate, low protein. And so then um, uh, all of a sudden, and the calcium as well. And so, so then all of a sudden it was, well, let's enrich it. Let's put it back in. Well, it doesn't process the same way because it's no longer a complex carbohydrate. Now it's a simple carbohydrate. And so it stops being good for you. It's the same thing that happens when you feed a ruminant grain. Well, they never evolved to eat grain. And so you fundamentally change their physiology by feeding them something uh, other than grass. So uh, not only that, just the production of it alone uh, in terms of the impact on the environment. When 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 cows are grazing in a field and they're chewing the grass and the grass continues to grow, that grass is um, uh, sequestering uh, uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah, and that's a – I hope that you will bring this level of sanity to the health people. The stuff I've been reading lately is just making my head explode. People are like, oh, we have to replace all the meat animals. It's like, okay, so that's literally – Who's on the grasslands, on the prairie lands? You need them to fertilize the mm-hmm. land. You need these are all the kind of marginal lands. If you take all of the cattle and bison and lambs and goats, you take them off the land, you're not what are you going to just grow more corn and soybeans? A lot of the times you're not because that's not the best mm-hmm. land for growing corn and soybeans. The whole thing is just so uh, divorce from reality. Well, what you end up doing uh, is uh, you end up eliminating uh, the fungus that's needed uh, to be present in the soil so that the trees that grow there can actually propagate. And so once you start messing with the ecosystem in a profound way, um, uh, everything goes haywire. And, and so uh, planting a, a vegetable crop uh, doesn't necessarily uh, make for a healthier uh, ecosystem. No, it doesn't. And there's so much uh, shady numbers. That's the other thing that drives me crazy now. I keep seeing these like, oh, cow methane is the problem, is the biggest problem ever. It is such a, a you know, 4% of U.S. 
agricultural emissions. It is nothing compared to the methane that comes out of rice fields. Mm. And yet uh, no one wants to talk about that. So I don't know if you want my, you know, the basic thing about health. I, I always say it's just back to basics. It's eating real foods. I used to say eat foods that your grandmother would eat, but now people just tell me like, oh, my grandmother lived on nothing but gin and bisquick. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> maybe not that. <laughs> you know? um, I might go for the gin part. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, real foods, whole foods, close to the ground, and, you know, things that, you know, what would George Washington have eaten? What would Aristotle, you know, just pick somebody from history mm-hmm. before we started uh, figuring out how to extrude individual molecules through sieves well, or something. I think something. on the positive side, I think we're returning to, I think is particularly with bread. Now we're seeing uh, a return to the way that bread is supposed to be made. You know, we always had an issue at Heartland because we baked our own bread. And of course we used whole grains in baking the bread. And there were hard rolls that went to the table. People were like, these are too hard. They're not squishy. How come they're chewy? And what's the stuff inside? <laughs> and it's, like, it's real bread. Sorry, that's what it is. And, um, and it's good for you. So, uh, so I think that, um, uh, you know, celiac people aside, um, uh, eating bread, it's, it's the staff of life, as they say. And, and they're not referring to Wonder Bread or anything squishy. All right, we're going to take a little break here for some uh, commercials. I've been talking to Lenny Russo, locavore chef with the mostest. We're going to come back. We're going to get to some of your questions. I'm getting some texts here on the text line, 81807. Got another question to add to our foodie mystery hour. And the uh, the question is about butter. Um, why do recipes that call for unsalted butter also have you Add salt, and we will uh, we'll get to that. If you have more questions, if you have an answer to the unsalted butter question, and you have some authority, you've cooked, you've worked at Land O'Lakes. I bet there's a lot of people that have butter authority in the listening range here. But uh, if you know why you use unsalted butter and then add salt afterwards, I will take that question too. And we're gonna take a little break and come back with Lenny Russo. Dara here. All right. So when I'm not restaurant critiquing at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, I am here and we are pioneering a new thing this week. It is mystery hour. So the way this works is that you pose a question that you don't Google because there was a magic to a time where not all of the information of the universe was at your fingertips. And then uh, we, we get answers. So we're asking the questions and we're answering the questions. They are about food. All right, so uh, I think we have our first ever winner of question time, our first ever question. So uh, the answer, the question was, where does this baker's dozen, why, why is it happening, teen pieces of bread or bagels or something like that instead of 12? And we got an answer from one career baker, also known as Bionic Baker. A baker's dozen is 13 because of a law in England if a baker shortchanged you a, on a dozen, the baker could lose an appendage by amputation. Oh, that's a bit. That's pretty high. Um, but yes, uh, I think that is the. I think that's right. A baker, you know, handed down in baking lore that in England they were shortchanging people, and so now we go for thirteen instead of twelve. So maybe we're grateful for the uh, the uh, criminals, petty criminals. 
Cost him, petty. cost him an arm and a leg. Yeah, yeah, really. All right, and let's do our applause. Our first ever. Dennis, take it away. Oh, that feels good. All right, so then we got a question. I'm going to maybe take this one. We got uh, some of your baking. What are you up to? You're out there. You're cooking. You're baking. I got a, a 651 response. Pot roast in the crock pot. Lenny Russo, if you had to guess how many pot roasts are going in Minnesota on this two-degree day right now, I'm going to put it at well, 10,000. Yeah, you know, I think you might be a little low on Might that. be low. For, yeah. uh, my first thought was 40,000, but then yeah, I thought, Yeah, oh, I think I you're go. probably uh, better. Uh, you should have gone with your gut. <laughs> All right. I'm going to guess 40,000 crockpot uh, crock pot, pot roasts are happening right now. Probably 5,000 with the packet of Lipton's onion soup in there to really – Get you some salt on these difficult days. All right, we got a question. Uh, hi, Dara. Need help for chicken legs? Oh, I have so many. Chicken legs are the bargain. They're the bargainist right now. That's the cheapest thing you can get in the case. I here's here's my go-to mm-hmm. is just like a little yogurt herb marinade because the yogurt mm-hmm. makes them a little, and then I just bake them. What do you do? You're fancy. Yeah, I'm fancy. I uh, and and I assume that when we say chicken legs, we're talking about the thigh portion as well, right? We might just be talking drumsticks. Well, and that's okay too. Um, I like to make cocovan, uh, uh, so you marinate it in red wine overnight. Uh, that I do in the uh, winter, and then in the summer, I do a lighter version with white wine, cocovan blanc. All right, so just basic. You're throwing a bunch of bunch of drumsticks in mm-hmm. a. In, a, in some kind of a either a plastic bag or something or other with some red wine and garlic and herbs and onions. And, exactly. And, and then just uh, marinate it overnight. And then um, then I roll it in – I pat it dry, roll it in flour, and uh, then I uh, brown it. And then I add uh, aromatic vegetables, celery, carrot, onion, the usual stuff, mushroom, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and then some stock. And I put the wine back in. And then I stew it until it's tender. Another thing that I do, too, is uh, chicken cacciatore. So I do the Italian version, essentially, of the same, which is like a hunter style, uh, you know, whatever you have. But there's tomato in that, a little bit different. People know that I've been my kids. I've been on this uh, crockpot self-sufficiency project, which is I believe that by the time they go to college, they should know how to cook for themselves. And so I've had them doing different things. And my son, who's now 13, he... He really embraces my chicken sink cacciatore, which is you make the basic cacciatore and then some number of chicken parts and sausages and just yeah. – uh, Well, I, as a matter of fact, I learned how to make that dish when I was 10. So Yeah. Yeah. That's – he learned – that, uh, that was his big takeaway from last year. And uh, the chicken sink cacciatore is a, is a life skill that people should have. I should, I should write it down sometime. You would not believe how basic you can do this. All right. We got Char and Chanhassen. She is doing chili in a crock pot. That is very cool. I love chili in a crock pot. We put up uh, Grant Ockett's mom's recipe for chili at some point, the recipe that he, this fancy chef in Chicago, the one that he kind of credits as his first recipe. And uh, all kinds of people at the station here make it now. I make it. It's very good. My daughter, that's her favorite chili. She gets kind of peevish when we go we go away from that one. I should put that rest. I'll maybe put that selection up sometime soon. All right. Um, we've got someone else making that marinated black-eyed pea salad from last week. We were talking about beans last week, and I was inspired. Yes, beans for health. All right. Let's talk about that as a health thing, Mr. Russo. I have been on a kick. I'm calling it now beanuary. 
Beanuary. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that earlier. Yes. I amuse myself and hopefully a few of you as well. But uh, <clears throat> beans, that's something that kind of fell out of the popular repertoire. I pulled uh, – we're going to go through best recipes in a little while here. Mm-hmm. But I pulled your Wall Street Journal uh, escarole white bean recipe yeah. that was up. That's another recipe I learned to make when I was 10. Not hard. Yes. So Very that was, worth it. Uh, that, yeah, I, I learned how to make that. And, and those are the first two dishes I, I think. Well, that and uh, mussels and red sauce, those were like the first three dishes I learned how to make. Oh. Um, but, yeah, beans, of course. Uh, you know, we uh, we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. Good source, source of protein, good source of pretty much everything. Um, very complete food. And they've really weirdly completely fallen out of the culture. Like if you make – a yellow split pea soup. You're doing something that people did in the olden days. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't know why that is. Yellow split peas are beautiful. So, so your chili recipe is that just meat, or is there beans in it? Oh no, it's just a straight up American mid century mm-hmm. uh, canned pinto beans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to do a white bean chili where you uh, and we use ground chicken or turkey and and the same white beans that you would use in the escarole and beans. The escarole and beans though is a really complete meal with the escarole. Uh, and a little bit of broth and some vegetables. And, I mean, that thing is completely nutritious. And as in the 20th century, in those olden days of yore, right? So uh, I feel like people got really involved in micronutrients and forgot big picture real foods. So they were all about – um, I don't know that somehow if you had like this percentage of carbs and this percentage of protein that everything was fine and then you lost – Big picture things like, oh, white beans are full of fiber mm-hmm. and have all kinds of other things. Like we have this whole microbiome inside of us. We have these three trillion creatures that help keep us healthy and we have to feed them too. And that's what people were doing for years and years. I have now Absolutely. lost the thread that people are actually calling in. Dennis, who do we have on the on the line? Oh, David with his alligator call. We got Dave in Minneapolis. Oh, welcome to the show. Uh, hi. Uh, well, love your show. Just wanted to ask you. Is there any place in Minneapolis or surrounding area that has alligator sausage like we do at the state fair? Oh, I think that the sausages by Cynthia might have those. That's uh, yes, that uh, I, that's a great recommendation. Um, that's um, the old Forster's Meat Company from Plymouth way back when. When they had their own, they used to graze their own cattle and lambs, and that's where I used to. That they were my go-to. I love that place. They got eminent domained out of uh, out of Plymouth, <laughs> out yes. of Plymouth, which was a tragedy. Um, so yeah, other than that, um, fresh alligator doesn't come here. It goes bad too fast, and I don't think there's a huge demand. You have to go to the zoo to get fresh alligator, <laughs> and they wouldn't like that. All right, we got a call from Jim in Farmington. Oh, he's perhaps we hello don't. there. Hi. Okay, I'm up from Arizona. And we had javelina all over the place. So I was wondering if he knew how to cook it. Well, javelina is essentially wild boar. It's a, it's a cross. It's a razorback. Um, so it's a cross between, uh, you know, wild boar and wild pig. Um, and um, you cook it the same way you cook pork. Uh, really, uh, it's going to be leaner um, for sure because it's wild. And um, so you, you want to uh, be a little bit more delicate with the way that you prepare it. But um, just think of it as a as a uh, more feral pork chop. So more. So what do you do there? You get you add fat and then you 
go low, low. I just go. Yeah, I I actually go go high. Go high. Yes. Oh, so a high uh, temperature. I yeah, I sear first and then I go low. All right. Yes. Well, that's that's the best way to do grass fed steaks. I've found over many years of trial and error is a really hot hit it. I like to build my fire so that it's very hot on one side. Hit yep. it, hit it there, and then move it. Well, you know far the away. the caramelization of the uh, sugars and the proteins is really where your flavor is going to come from. So you want to get some char on it. All right. Um, oh, we got somebody out there who's cooking chicken and dumplings, Swedish kumla for my daughter's birthday. Her favorite since she's two, and she's now fifty-two. That's very sweet. Chicken and dumplings. That's a great, mm-hmm. a great uniter. I it doesn't people don't make it that much anymore. No, but I mean that's the sort of thing that fortifies you going out into the cold. It really is. That is that is perfect for a January birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break here. We'll come back and we'll do a little more mystery hour foodie. We'll have a little more with Mr. Lenny Russo. Uh, and hopefully, anybody have that answer to the question about unsalted butter? If you've got it, either call in at 989, or, or it should say 651-989-9226, or text us, 81807. All right, so I'm Dara, Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine critic, uh, here with Lenny Russo, and we're talking all things food. We've got Mystery Hour. We're talking about what you're cooking. Um, I am. I have fear that nobody's going to call in about our our salty butter question. So we'll get to uh, some of these other ones. I got a question. Um, I read there's going to be an avocado shortage and can you freeze them? Well, this one, I am now so old that I feel that I have read, I've experienced the quote unquote avocado shortage. It's got to be 10 times. Oh yeah. There's always an avocado shortage. Is an avocado shortage. Then the next news cycle is there's a wing shortage right before the Super Bowl. Right. And um, Buffalo Wild Wings probably was partially responsible for the uptick in uh, the cost or or price of wings to the average consumer and also the shortage that resulted. Um, I know that uh, when they were riding high that – Wings, the price of wings went through the roof. Oh, and so I, I don't, you know, I don't think there is going to be an avocado shortage. So that would be my first point is that these, these quote unquote shortages, they, I feel like if you're a journalist, you can call around long enough and you can find somebody to say like, oh, the sky is falling. But I don't think the sky is falling. We really, you know, you might have to pay an extra 20 cents per avocado, but I haven't mm. – I, I don't know. Well, the answer to the frozen question is, of course, you can remove the pulp from the avocado and you can store it in an airtight container. You don't really don't – you want it to be anaerobic because it will uh, – Get brown and yes. slimy. I have experienced yes. the yuck of a, right. a guacamole in the fridge that right. became neglected. Yes. But you can freeze the, uh, the avocado pulp. And you really you can. So yes. I could just get a avocado, smush it all up, put it in some kind of airtight yeah. container. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to like freeze the whole avocado and then take it out and try and slice it because it will be mush. I mean, what happens when you freeze something is the water expands and so the cell wall breaks down. So it's basically pureed by the time you defrost it. So yeah, some things freeze and some, some just things don't. just no, they yeah. don't. And, uh, <laughs> corn corn freezes really well. Oh yeah, and yes. sh- and shrimp freeze really well, yep. and uh, tuna, tuna, 
tuna freeze? Yeah, I guess the tuna yeah. steaks do. Yeah, tuna. Tuna is very, well. very flexible. It'll go into cans. It'll mm-hmm. go into your freezer. It just wants. It it's just... like bread. It's the staff of life. <laughs> it really is for a lot of people. Um, okay, so I got a question uh, about. Okay, so I put up a seven dollar uh, wine on my Instagram last night. Yes, it, it is good. People are like, "Is it actually good?" Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing this thing with Liquor Boy. I, I'm going to go out there next weekend, and I'm going to tell fortunes, and I don't know what else I'm going to do. Have a fun time for an hour. But uh, they've been helping me find bottom shelf wines, and lo and behold, uh, there are some still good under ten dollar bargains, and I found mm-hmm. this really kind of glassy, well-structured, transparent Pinot Noir for seven bucks. And then I found this very earthy kind of cinnamon scented Tempranillo. And so that's been, that's been fun. Yes, it is. Yes. Believe me. I don't just, I don't just put lies up on my Instagram. Um, And if you do want to find me on Instagram, I am Dara Moskowitz Grumdahl. Oh, I got a question about what restaurant has the best wine. Well, I can't answer that because the, the, the different, Restaurants have different focuses, so maybe the best Italian wine is at Broder's, and maybe the the best kind of bargain California is over at Merchants, a hotel on Hennepin. Um, Lenny, you've bought wine for oh, wine sure. lists. It's complicated, yeah. right? It's a multi year investment. Yeah, I have kind of a different take on what is the best wine. I mean, <clears throat> you know, obviously, do you have uh, a do you are you you're ready to say that in the in the public sphere, you're the best wine list in the Twin Cities, really? No, I, I have a different take on it. I think that <laughs> um, it really uh, comes down to the way it's curated. If it's – so like you were talking uh, earlier, you said, I, I found two really great bottles of wine for under 10 bucks, And if you can find those gems – and my wife was always great at this when we had Heartland. She was always great at really finding those great values from – relatively obscure vineyards um, that just delivered great quality at a great price. To me, that's a great wine list. Um, Then another way to look at, of course, is what is the scope of the wine list? Like how broad is it? Um, How deep is it? Um, If, you know, like at nine, when I was at nine twenty five, we, we had a spectacular wine list um, that Peter Plain put together. Our, our, uh, our Sam who's now down in Houston, um, but you know we had a we had a wine cellar in the basement that was a, was a reserve list and it had spectacular bottlings uh, uh, down there. So it really kind of depends on what uh, on where on what you uh, where you place your value. Where do you where do you place that? Yeah, there's the a bunch of the wine lists in town are very personal in different ways. So I would say that uh, Troubadour, which is this wine little wine bar in Uptown, right across from the Y on Hennepin, it's a just a hole in the wall, but they have a great list of different biodynamic and natural and kind of those cutting edge uh, producers that you don't see a lot. So if that's your bag. Uh, Troubadour would be the best. If you like, you know, a deep French list, can't go wrong with Meritage in St. Paul. They've mm-hmm. been collecting and uh, refining and being thoughtful about their wine for a long time. And, uh, one of the co-owners, Dessa Klein, has been traveling Europe and kind of really learning more about it all. So that's a that's clearly the best French wine list in town. But then again, like I said, I think the best Italians got to be down at Terzo, mm-hmm. Roters, and um, they're they can be very personal. Yep, absolutely, and they should be. That those are the best wine lists. So that's the complicated answer to that question. The best restaurant wine lists are the personal wine lists that kind of match up with what you care about. That was a long way to that answer. All right. Um, 
Getting a lot of wine questions. Got a question about what's the difference between quote unquote skin contact and quote unquote resting on the lees. All right, so these are wine label terms. You'll see these a lot, winemaker terms. Skin contact and resting on the lees are different. Okay, so skin contact means like you take all your grapes, you smush them up. Now you've got a little smush of grape. That's a wine term, right? Smush? Yeah, it is. Very technical. You've got this. uh, So you've got your your grape skins and your juice, and they're all macerating together, and the grape juice is absorbing the flavor of the wine skin. So that's what skin contact means. You can do that with red wines. You can do that with white wines. You do that with orange wines, all the wines. And that's how you make uh, rosé wine out of red wine grapes is you smush everything, and then you get the skin away very fast. So skin contact adds flavor and color. And tannin. And tannin. Well, yeah, that and the grape tannin that's in the, in the grape skins. And then then you put all that grape juice. Now you've got your grape juice. You put it in the tank. You add yeast or you let it naturally ferment. You get yeast. And then the yeast does its leads its life, dies, falls to the bottom of the tank. And that's the lees. That's the lees. And so that's different than skin contact. So lees refer to yeast. And skin contact refers to grape skins, and that's a difference. And uh, we consider the lees, rested on the lees, can add all of these flavors, all of those biscuity, bready flavors, the things that you associate with yeast, right? Uh, some of the stuff that we taste when we're tasting bread comes from the fermentation that makes all the little bubbles and everything inside the bread. So that is the difference between skin contact and resting on the lees. They're just different processes to get you somewhere. All right. Oh, we got we have not just an answer to the salt and butter question. We have a real chef has written in. All right. Michelle Gower from Spicer, Minnesota is a chef. Salt is important when it comes to flavoring and seasoning your recipe. This way you can salt to taste to get the perfect amount. It is controllable. Uh, and so the idea is that when you're using salted butter, you are not controlling that ingredient. This is our very second ever Mystery Hour winner. The reason that you have salt, that you add salt to your unsalted butter is to control the salt. Dennis, applause. All right. I'm kind of loving this whole mystery hour so, thing. <laughs> so salting butter, I think, came about because <clears throat> we like sweet cream butter here as opposed to cultured butter. In America. Right. And salt is a preservative. So now your butter will last longer if you have salt in it. But if you have cultured butter, which, of course, has that sort of cheesy flavor, you can leave that out in your counter for like a month. You don't even have to refrigerate it, and it's just fine. So that's more the uh, French – butter, you know, the cultured butter, the more European continental style. All you cutting edge chefs with your Noma obsession, not you, but maybe mm. maybe the tykes a little younger than you, <clears throat> they cannot get enough of this. The Scandinavian chef, his name is Rene Redzepi, and he just ferments everything, and now everybody's fermenting everything and making their own butter out of their own buttermilk. So people are like taking milk, then fermenting it, then making that into butter. And I had some at this restaurant in uh, Nashville when I was on vacation. Mm -hmm. And it was, I would have, if you had told me there was lemon juice in this stuff, I would have believed it. But it was not. It was just so sour from Mm -hmm. lactic acid. Like really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, very nice. I got a call years ago from Denmark when we still had Heartland. It was a journalist and she said, um, 
So uh, you're, the way that you cook with foraged foods and, and, uh, and, and local ingredients, how did, did Noma affect uh, you? <laughs> and I said maybe you want to ask Rene how, uh, how, how Heartland uh, influenced the way he cooks. <laughs> yeah, well, you were pro- out there providing a market yeah. for foragers. and uh, yeah, Well, she probably hung up on me. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's good. goes back to our journalism thing we were saying before. All right, I'm going to take a break here. We're going to come back. I'm going to have your top bean soups and bean recipes and including one of Lenny Russo's beauties, an escarole white bean recipe. And that's what we'll have when we come back. Dara here. All right. got to get through our recipes. I have a bunch. They're all up at WCCORadio.com backslash menu. You can see them all. These are the recipes I think you should make for with beans, your bean soups, your stews, your cassoulets. I was about to say casseroles. You could do that, too, if you put it in the right shape. Um, so I am really all about beans this month because it's beanuary, and I think that they are so good for health. They are full of fiber. We need to talk about fiber more. They're slow-release carbohydrate. They're just really good for you. And if you would eat more, I feel that you would be full and healthy. I put some up uh, last week. I did the cold bean salads, and I just got uh, just so many people were interested on Facebook. I was shocked at how many people are actually eating this way. People come to it through different diets, like these, you know, slow carb or things I hadn't heard of. There's so many diets all the time. Okay. But here's what I've got for the hot ones. They're hot people. All right. So braised escarole and cannellini beans. This is Lenny Russo's own recipe in the Wall Street Journal. We have a link up there. It's just very beautiful. Braised escarole. Uh, It's got that creaminess and then the kind of iron of the vegetables. It's just, it's so good. Senate bean soup. I did not know that there has been one ham and bean soup on the menu in the Senate cafeteria since 1903. And I think you can, you know, uh, lay your own where's Mitch trap. Just set out a bowl of soup on the porch, see what happens. (laughs) It's a Senate bean soup. Very American since 1903 on the cafeteria. Menu at the Senate. I got Rick Bayless's black bean soup. He does a beautiful job. It's a perfect kind of silky meat spicy. That is up at WCCORadio.com. I have a vegetarian version up as well. A bean and leek cassoulet. Cassoulet is what you do with beans to make them all French. And this is a kind of DIY recipe. You can add any sausage or duck. And then we have finally a smoky tangy collards and beans. That's all the time we have See it all on WCCORadio.com slash menu. And next week, trying to get a chef to come on from Lucky Cricket. We'll see. Life's a mystery. But uh, any which way, I hope I see you here next week. And may your baked Alaska freeze perfectly and your toes and ears stay toasty warm. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.